Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hey there, folks. Oliver here. This week, Horace joins me and we have a great conversation about the new SAE or Society for Automotive Engineers Standards, uh, the Cybertruck from Tesla, and then autonomy and why autonomy is a bit of a boondoggle for the auto companies. Uh, I certainly found it a very interesting conversation and Horace gets into a bit of a rant at the end, which is always good fun. But before we jump into that, I want to thank this week's sponsor for the episode, Twilio IoT. Shared micromobility is a deceptively hard business. If you keep losing your connections to those vehicles, soon you will be out of business. And that's where Twilio IoT comes in. Providing sims and a cellular connectivity platform to seamlessly connect in 180 countries. Twilio helps companies like Lime, Skip, Spin and Beam to cost-effectively scale faster, deploy further and optimize their supply chain. Twilio is also the leader for SMS and phone number verification APIs to reduce fraud and improve your user experience. So, are you an operator looking for the right global cellular connectivity partner to scale with? Give Twilio a shot. They're offering free sims and test credit to Micromobility podcast listeners for a limited time. Click the link in the podcast description for more. And with that, here's Horace. All right, and we're back. Um, how are you doing today, Horace? Where are you? I'm in Boston. This is my home, so I've met people I haven't met for a while. So there was a lot of catching up to do. I was at Harvard, and, you know, there might be some work to do there, bringing micromobility into a, uh, into a teaching uh, space. So, uh, so that, yeah. that's exciting. Yeah, I'm excited to hear uh, how that goes. Uh, let, let, let me yeah. hold off on well, that. Um, we'll, we'll discuss it at the, once it's further along, but, but it, it seems to it, oh, no, absolutely. It seems to be progressing. Uh, there's, there's, plenty, there's plenty in the fire uh, uh, there that I think, I think is pretty exciting in terms of um, folks coming to us and saying, hey, we want to do something with micromobility um, uh, from all range of different places, um, which we look forward to sharing with everybody soon. Um, but hey, look, this there's something that has come out uh, quite recently, which I thought probably be useful to discuss. And we, I'm keen to have the folks at SAE themselves come and, and uh, talk about it on the podcast. But I thought maybe we could go over the new micromobility standards, or as they call it, the taxonomy of powered micromobility vehicles. Mm-hmm. It's been released in the last couple of weeks. And I thought um, maybe what we could do is just run over um, the, uh, the background and history again and why it's contextually important that SAE is at the stage looking to, to classify micromobility vehicles. Yes, and I recommend you try to get the, get a, the hold of this document. And it's part of something called Surface Vehicle Recommended Practice. It has a number, uh, J3194, um, it seems to be... I'll link to it in yeah. the show notes as well, um, yeah. The, so, so even in the title, when you can see the name uh, taxonomy and classification of powered micromobility vehicles, so they have to qualify it as powered because obviously the the this definition of micromobility includes unpowered vehicles. Uh, so they have to be more specific about w- the subset of micromobility they're addressing here. 
because of course it's outside of the domain of SAE, the Society of Automotive Engineers, to describe non-powered vehicles or human-powered vehicles. So there's there's mm-hmm. already that sort of caveat. And going f- through the process of uh, a taxonomy is a hierarchy. Uh, it implies some sort of structure. And it kind of tries to make an argument that, you know, the classification is on multiple dimensions, weight being uh, one of them, uh, vehicle width is another, uh, and speed is a third. And yeah, power, and power source, yeah. as well. So I was on the committee and I, I overheard a lot of it. I didn't really uh, engage deeply because I, I, in a sense, felt that the voice that needs to be heard uh, is, is the committee members who are vested in this, um, uh, you know, in these, uh, in these, as either policymakers or companies involved in this. I mentioned in the beginning my definition, which defines micromobility as simply a lightweight vehicle uh, indexed at 500 kilograms, approximately equivalent to uh, 100 kilograms per passenger, not around speed and not around physical dimensions and not around uh, even powered or unpowered. Uh, But I wanted to make it as simple as possible. And, And again, in that vein of of bringing micromobility as an idea to people, I think if we get bogged down in details of dimensions and measurements, it forces the, the listener to fixate on that. If I told you that a human being is 180 centimeters plus or minus 20 centimeters, your sure. objection would be, well, what about really tall and really short people? Um, and then, and then, you know, what, what are you trying to say? What is your argument? And so, and and and, and, and so, <laughs> you think everybody's Dutch, <laughs> right? And so, so my the point being though that that a number is immediately a target, and so rather than that, in the Berlin conference, I said what really we need to imply with micromobility is that. It is uh, fundamentally about delivering on, on the promise of freedom in urban areas. So it's freedom in cities. The, that's what I wanted to f- emphasize. So rather than zooming in and being more precise, I zoom out and uh, I try to be less precise, but at the same time more meaningful because it is about the job to be done or the outcome that, that the technology or service ca- has to uh, achieve. However, that isn't the, the, what SAE is trying to do. The SAE mandate is to provide tools to practitioners of the uh, engineering profession and also those who promulgate or regulate th- that profession. And so, you know, there is a need for a specific definition. There's a need because regulations are, are based on that. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Well, they, they say the rationale for being able to standardize is so that there's the commonality of terms, but also as well to allow the public agencies to clarify policies related to this in terms of regulations and things like that as well. Conceptually, I get it. I mean, I'm just, you know, if we if we take a, a 30,000 foot view of this, the reason this is important is we need to work out what do we have if we want to get to standardization of rules over everything uh, globally, right? And SAE strikes me as the organization that's probably better place than most to be able to say this is what we think it should look like and the reason that that's important is that for example lime or bird or any of the other operators or e-bike manufacturers can then say we are building these vehicles conformant to this standard and then whichever country ends up importing them can just say yes well we know how to classify that because we now have a kind of a global standard quote unquote 
I mean, that's in theory the why why it's important, right? Why why you would develop standards like this? Yes, but the, the, the problem also is, by the way, there's a second set of standards, the European standards for definition of all powered vehicles, and, and, mm-hmm. and that uh, hierarchy or taxonomy in, includes many of these as well, but it doesn't define by, by certain things like weight. Well, it, yes, except in some cases, like a, a quadricycle is under 450 kilograms, uh, very s- similar to my definition of 500 kilograms uh, limit, but but, mm-hmm. but things like, you know, whether there's an ultra lightweight, lightweight, midweight, midweight plus curb weight, you know. Um, so I, I, w- w- I think this is a little bit beyond the scope uh, of our podcast, in a sense, because diving into these details, uh, first of all, again, we're fixated by why, what is being said and not what it isn't being said. And what's the point is is that, uh, okay, some people got together and agreed on this. Now it needs to be accepted. It's a recommendation. It needs to be accepted and put into use, either becoming law or becoming practice that is normative to all participants. But that that is a market question, whether the market accepts this definition. It's not, um, it's not the end. Uh, uh, and by the way, I'm very curious about the process by which we got to this point. And the SAE has a process. It, you know, you have the committee that meets and discusses, and there are rules about participation even, like minimum uh, required participation. You, you know, you can be invited to, to be a, a member, but it isn't restricted necessarily in how big it can get. Um, and, mm-hmm. and so... It, so you can have 40 or 50 or 100 yes, people in the was, room? Yes, it was unclear to me even how many people were. But it seemed like, at the beginning at least, that were, the number kept growing and it looked like we would have 30 people online at the same time. I, to me, it was interesting how the sausage is made, so to speak. Like, you know, if you, if you think about the lawmaking process, the fact that you have to have drafts and who writes the drafts and, and have those drafts be debated and have them be put out for public uh, comment having uh, evidence provided to the lawmakers from witnesses of some one various kind or another, um, having that then go through revision, having it be voted on, then potentially having it be vetoed and have potentially even having it be declared unconstitutional. I mean, I'm speaking mostly about the U.S. process here, but similar elsewhere. So the, the point of, mm-hmm. of this idea of, okay, once, once a bill becomes a law, Yes, this is the law of the land, but um, and there's a different process here at work. Obviously, it's not nothing near nearly as that. But it's it's to me it's interesting that what you end up with is often not something that 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 is uh, brilliant in the sense like like what someone created something and it's you know it's it's a it's a it's a stroke of of a master hand at work. It's a it's the work of of many hands and it's the work often of compromise and it's a work of often of kind of coming to the lowest uh, common denominator and anything by committee necessarily becomes a compromised uh, result. That's not to say that it is worthless. It is, it is to say that uh, the process defines the product and the process is necessarily one of collaboration or, or at least uh, uh, multiple people pulling this thing in multiple directions, which which uh, is, mm-hmm. what, is what it is. And so then at the end of the day, if you have a problem with it, 
uh, I say, well, you, you know, that's the process that generates this, this result, and maybe the market will reject it, or maybe the market will accept it. But it is what it is, and so uh, I, I, don't th I don't have an opinion on it as such, uh, because uh, I, I saw it how it was made, and, and I can understand why those who put in their two cents did so. They were because they were representing companies, and those companies had an interest to do to go in that direction. So what? So what we we ended yeah, up with? Course. We ended up with something that is potentially com a compromise. Anyway, um, I I'd rather ex you know what I prefer to do is is not go from the the producer side, which is what we have here, but from the consumer side. So asking the question again, what is it that we're trying to achieve? What is the customer uh, looking to hire? What is the customer looking to to themselves achieve? And what is the outcome that that the product serves? That is, to me, ultimately what will decide the fate of micromobility, rather than what we end up in compromise in the committee. So, not to again, not to detract from the effort. I'm just I'm just pointing out there's there's uh, there's much more to it than that. And do not get hung up on it if you're finding it that it doesn't suit your your worldview or your plans or your vision. It's just the process. Um, so that's that's kind of all I have to say. I, I would still would, would invite the manager who responsible for putting this effort together. She's very diligent and has done a, 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 you know, it's a tough job, I can imagine. It is an achievement. It is something that's published. And by the way, we should be very proud of the fact that we SAE actually has a micromobility definition of some kind, right? Yep, completely. Even if uh, <laughs> even if it's a little different from what we would do. Look, let's see if we can get Annie on the the podcast. Um, I, Annie came and spoke at uh, in Berlin uh, and talked through the effort that she she had done, and that video should be up very soon, um, which I can link to in the show notes as well. Um, excellent. Well, what else do we want to talk about today? Well, you wanted Horace? me to comment on this uh, this uh, truck thing. I do. Yeah, I'm very, uh, very, very curious about your take on I mean, I know you're generally negative on Tesla. You don't believe it's disruptive. I found the Cybertruck announcement to be, well, I was filled with a small amount of glee. I'm not, I'm not really into American style trucks, but I did, I did find the kind of the low render Cybertruck to be uh, a little bit like uh, Elon trying to just troll the industry. But curious about uh, your, your take on... Well on the you know this 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 shift towards heavy electric vehicles and the fact that electric is coming to trucks well, uh and that and that category of vehicle well you know it's it's this is a evidence that that electric drive is a sustaining technology for automaking um i i i think actually the truck frame being or trucks in general which are by the way typically built on a frame chassis are wonderful empty spaces f to be filled with batteries, right? The, 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 this ladder frame typically, uh, and the fact that the vehicle is tall and has essentially not really designed for being compact uh, in nature. Like if you try to electrify a, a, a Fiat 500 or a Mini, you're having a real tough challenge. You've got batteries are big and heavy and you gotta find little places for them. But there's plenty of place in the truck. Trucks are mostly air. And, and steel. Now, the weird thing about the Cybertruck to me, so my initial impression was, um, why steel when you can do aluminum? And actual aluminum is what they m moved into with the Model 3. 
why make it heavy? No, no, the, the Model 3 was steel. Uh, I'm Model sorry, S I was apologize. Aluminium. Yes, um, they, they moved to steel in because of cost, but basically aluminum was the... Uh, but Ford F-150 went to aluminum. Ford did so because they wanted to lighten the, the, the vehicle to make it more fuel efficient uh, per required constraints from carb and so on. And so uh, to me, it's kind of a bit odd to choose a material that's heavier rather than lighter and also the fact that the thing is is enormous i i don't know i i just looked at it very briefly and and it just appears to dwarf even the monster trucks that we have today so the size is the size is appalling um i don't know how it's going to fare as a you know how visible how much the visibility uh out of it is going to be uh better for pedestrians and micro vehicles which frankly will rule the world and this thing will just try to avoid them and and that's what matters to me is is whether the driver has a, a way to see this that's that's the most important thing for trucks because they're the recently they've grown in proportions that make pedestrians invisible to the driver uh, the other thing is not having mirrors and weird you know it's missing a bunch of things that normally you'd see on a car uh, but you know to be honest having said all that I actually think it's a nice, uh, it's a nice move. And, and initially, my, you know, my reaction was it was kind of, this looks a bit, a bit bizarre, almost, almost like you said, it's trolling us. But I, I kind of like it on a different level because I, th I like the, the, um, the idea of taking that category of product, the truck, and moving moving away from the the design language which is going to I, I think it's actually going to obsolete the design language of the trucks today the the same way uh you know uh, uh, a clean looking uh, uh or, or let this put it this way the same way volkswagen beetle shamed all the chrome tail fins and and boat like cars that that were in America at the time when it came to America, which was in the 1960s. And to see that that mm -hmm. contrast in design between a, a, a VW Beetle, a, a very kind of uh, round uh, and minuscule and, uh, you know, something that, that completely disregards the existing yes. design language and thumbs its nose at it and sort of was like, I, I don't care. Um, and that that meant something to people and i think this product could mean something to to those who who say you know i i reject the um the hyper masculinity the the fake uh, masculinity even of of these monster trucks today uh and uh, i'm gonna go with with this having said that though it's still a truck which is wrong there's, yeah i was gonna <laughs> say i don't think no that uh, i i don't it, i think there's it, there's something deeply brutalist about it. It's brutalist, um, but again, to and, me, it's like, well, it could have been round. It could have been a bubble. It would have still, to me, had the same effect. It's saying, look, I'm not going to make a chrome, uh, you know, bling object of, uh, of male fantasy. And instead, I'm going to make something that, that looks very different and, and, and speaks to a different purpose. But... The fact of the matter is it still should not exist. I mean, we should not be driving these things unless, again, you're, you're, you're I don't know, a construction company or something like that. Mm. It, and, and very, very few trucks 
are used that way. And we've, I think we've talked about this, you know, the, the once a year uh, uh, utility. Um, unfortunately, that's where the market is. And I think, I think that Tesla is, is simply pandering to a market that, uh, that doesn't, you know, deserve to exist. Um, mm. There's one there's one part about it that I'm I am really curious about, which is that they use cold rolled stainless steel exoskeleton for its manufacturing. So in theory, it's moving away from having a frame chassis to having the paneling itself be uh, structurally. I, yeah, stru- I have like to look into that. I I should I should have been reading more about what they're doing on the structural side. I did I basically kind of. Um, because it's so distasteful to me, the whole idea of a truck, I didn't want to really <laughs> educate myself all that much about it. But, um, but I, I mm. you know, if, if there is some innovation going on in structure, that's all welcome. I don't think that, that we've gone far enough on that in automotive engineering yet. So as you know, you know I'm, I'm fond of new manufacturing and new materials and all these things that can make cars better. But... Um, yeah, I think you're right. If you know, stainless is also an interesting uh, idea. I love the 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 aesthetic of it because I think it again it's goes in going goes away from the ornamental style of vehicle that we have today, and and more back to kind of form. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I did find interesting as well is that someone has in the last twenty four hours uh, done some some uh, modeling on whether or not it would actually be aerodynamic or not. Because you look at it and you go, goodness me, that thing is going to be an absolute tank. Someone effectively modeled up the, the, the vehicle and said, it's going to not be perfect, but it's going to be more slick with the air than most vehicles uh, you can buy today. Uh, probably more like on the range of like a sports car. Um, mainly because the way that the paneling is structured um, and the fact that it has a long tail and, it, and that they seal the bed so that the bed isn't just open uh, in which you can have like a big kind of gully of air. Um, all of those things contribute to actually it being quite aerodynamically efficient, which is, of course, incredibly important for well, an electric car. Like I said, and it's funny because I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a step in a in powerful direction. You should give it a lot more credit than initially uh, the look of it would, would suggest. Um, and yeah, I think that there's a bit, a lot of clever stuff going on there. Um, again, the only problem with it is it's a, it's a truck and it, it shouldn't exist. <laughs> I, I, we, we, we can argue all day, but maybe it'll do well. I think that the, if they're targeting Americans, certainly I don't think it's going to be all that interesting in Europe or, or Asia. But, uh, uh, but also I'm curious about, again, the uh, size issue. Uh, it is not something that is comfortable to imagine in a city. Uh, trying to park that in a you know in a city spot or driving it inside of a parking garage that, that is fairly small. I that a lot of these things don't yep. make sense to me. So so to the extent that there is a ex-urban suburban market that would uh, accommodate this, then it, it it might do it might do okay. I find myself actually sort of nodding and, and saying hmm this is not a bad move if, if you're a newcomer trying to make a new uh an entry into the truck category 
they did a really good job. I like I like what they did. I, I just mm-hmm. don't like trucks. I think the truck <laughs> yeah, category should exist whatsoever. That's the only problem. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway. Oh, Horace, you're you're too transparent. You're too transparent. Well, look, I there, there's one part about it that, that, that there's one part about all of this as well that I, I want to follow up on, which is that you uh, you did a, a talk this morning uh, for our Triple M, and I, I should should mention this as well. So Triple M is the the, the paid uh category for for folks who want to have a bit more access to to horace and um and and thinking we've got a good community now of about 100 or so people who who dial in um and uh have exclusive calls with us um but this morning you were talking about autonomy and i know that uh, autonomy is one of those one of those things that um obviously the cyber truck was sold on and it's going to have self-driving and all this sort of stuff but uh, i would love to hear your angle about autonomy and how you'd been thinking about it and why you think it's such a boondoggle well, so yes, I you know boondoggle is the right word. Uh, I guess it's okay if I do repeat myself because I did get, get quite into this, but but I kind of oh well we can't get as much into as much well, detail. So yeah, I, we'll just, what I did, just quickly run over it. What I did is I sort of pulled the emergency brake in the in the train system, which you know uh, causes the train to stop and 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 or. or you know, pull the fire alarm. Okay, let's let's use that uh, that that uh, metaphor. It's like I sort of pu- pulled the fire alarm and said autonomy or self-driving is not going to work out. Uh, I'm calling it now. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, uh, you know, pull the fire alarm. People should head for the exits. Um, and the the. And you're saying this now, even though Waymo has now deployed cars on the road and they've actually got services that are running in Arizona and, yes, and all that yes. sort of stuff? In fact, I, I've met and talked with John Kraftchik from, from Waymo. We met in, in Hamburg. He suggested that I present at, at, the, um, at the Wunder uh, company conference. Yeah, Wonder Wonder Mobility. We've uh, we've had them on actually. Their their podcast will be going out in the next week. And or so. and so I met him there, and I spoke at conferences where he was also in the audience. I, I have great respect for Waymo, and I think what what they did is to create what they say. His great uh, phrase, the turn of words that I like, is that he said, "We make drivers, we don't make cars." They're in the business of creating a driver and and having that driver be a great driver and. Um, and um, uh, you you know hire the driver to drive you around. That's the business and that's the idea. And I think it's a, it's a, it's the right way to think about it. It's not about making cars. It's about making drivers. But at this point, the, what they will be able to deliver as a as a driver is someone who's not going to allowed to go anywhere. Uh, who who therefore will be will be driving only in in a constrained environment. And fundamentally, the problem with self-driving has been, I think it's been oversold as being a solution for uh, all cars everywhere at all times and all, all passengers. So this is the idea that it's going to create a world where we no longer drive. I remember, in fact, a few years ago, one of the researchers in this space saying, I'm hoping for a day where my son, who was then a young boy, uh, will never have to have a driver's license. The, the utopian... Yeah, I think that was Sebastian Thrun. Mm, at Google, uh, I believe. Who, who is the... Yeah. So, the, so the idea was that we, we should eliminate all uh, uh, fatalities uh, from cars. We should eliminate all, all injury. We should eliminate all insurance even as a result. We should eliminate 
a lot of the vehicles off the roads that we should we should therefore uh, make these vehicles shared implicitly um, we should also eliminate a lot of the infrastructure necessary to store these cars and therefore reduce parking reduce congestion reduce a lot of things this idea this utopia in fact when mm-hmm. i present promises you know on micromobility people say things like well yes but what about autonomy is that going to make your dream of micromobility a moot point because you know who's going to want to get on one of these things when we'll have cars whisking us around for pennies per mile uh, at at no effort and no cost that was what we were sold and it was fantastic to watch for five years uh, people fantasizing about how the world will be changed by autonomy how the world will completely be transformed um, and and autonomy with electric and sharing and everything else. So we would get rid of pollution. We would get rid of emissions. We would get rid of of everything. Oh, I'm I'm uh, definitely one of them. I was very sold on the vision. So the problem I had with it, in, you know, and and when I started even analyzing the 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 market for auto autos, this was in 2013, 14. Um, 15 I began I think it was 14 or 15 I began a sim car and I remember one of the first things I saw on Twitter when I announced a sim cars first show was like oh I just heard it but you said nothing about autonomy this is in 2014 how could you have a show about cars and technology and the future of the car and not talk about autonomy and to be honest in 2014 of course I knew that this was you know, I knew about the DARPA challenge. I knew all these efforts were underway. Certainly Google had started down this road. And I did not believe it then. And I do not believe it now. Five years have gone by. <laughs> this dream was always going to be a disappointment. And not just because the technology is hard. Everyone was focused on technology. The technology made a lot of progress. And, uh, you know, machine learning has been a breakthrough technology making all of this possible the problem was for me about societal mm-hmm. take up and the fact that s curves take a certain amount of time and that you know at that point in time in 2014 i had been doing a lot of research also on s curves and i you know cataloged 140 of them and i c- kept asking myself what makes things fast what makes things slow and my intuition based on again observation of, of patterns in existing data was that this was going to be one of the slowest. It was going to be the slowest because you're going to require so many participants to agree uh, to build it, regulate it, handle exceptions and anomalies, to handle uh, the inevitable failures that will occur. Uh, uh, and, and those failures, by the way, means fatalities. And, and so ascribing uh, f- blame and all these things. We have to agree on these things as society. And one of the things also to understand is when a robot joins society, when they when they mm-hmm. enter society, when 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 people have to decide, uh, oh, I see a robot on the sidewalk. How do I interact with it? How does it behave towards me? Do I trust it or not? These sort of things lead to questions of behavior, and our fundamental reaction of people is to reject it. And to blame it for anything that happens. This is whether the, this thing is robotic or an alien of, or anything else. We are inherently going to be suspicious of it. And we, we, uh, our instinct is to, to literally stick it with a pitchfork. I think that the, uh, our ability to eventually accept things like this. And some things are harder than others. I mean, we had difficulties with, with, with computers and mice and keyboards and, and typewriters. And, and, and um, 
uh, you go back. But none of those were sentient, right? It didn't have its own kind of life to itself. And I and I hear you on that. I think there's a deeply these things. There's a deeply human aspect exactly. to this, which is and, you know we, I don't think we talk about. And we're about. struggling with voice response systems. So you have smart speakers, and we have things like you know, some people are still uncomfortable with someone listening, with someone speaking to them who isn't uh, who isn't a person. Um, we have you know it, it, we have issues with privacy. Who's watching us? And, and again, I'm thinking about, you know, grandmothers and aunties and, and old people and young people who are who are going to have to uh, accept these machines. Uh, and suddenly you don't know if you trust them. You, you don't know how they'll behave. You ask, you know, you freaked out, completely freaked out by these things. And now, now I'm not saying that we'll stay that way. We're certainly going to accept them eventually. The question is when. And so when, when everyone's making these promises about technology breakthroughs, was making promises about the adoption of these things instantaneously, going not in the nest curve, but in the step function. That's what I'm hearing. Tony Seba, this is a guy who said that, you know, autonomy electric and and sharing are going to cons you know combine into a supernova and you know uh, we'll see adoption go in 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 less than a decade and you know it's all going to cause a you know supernova this this thing well that's understandable because there's a business i mean there's a business logic to it right which is like once your marginal kilometers get down to i don't know a dollar or, or sorry you know 10 cents a kilometer or something like that then, then you can then you can do things like subscriptions, and then of course, why on earth would people own their own car if they can get a subscription for yes and no? A, First of all, know, kilometer equivalent. Let's be clear also that some of the major technologies that we've you know greatest technologies we've ever heard of, whether it's cars or computers, um, had a very lagging, slow impact in economic terms, meaning in productivity. You know, and this was, a, you know, people were, were saying this in the 80s and 90s that why is it that computers after 30, 40 years had no impact? I mean, zero visible impact in productivity data, which you'd think it's all the companies were using computers, but somehow labor productivity wasn't changing. How is this possible? But that's because it, it actually lags tremendously. So when, when, you're putting, when you're putting an economic equation at the front and saying, well, people will adopt it because it's suddenly going to be cheap and, and companies will make money and save money and all these things, those benefits actually tend not to appear very early. In fact, they appear after saturation, which is very bizarre and it's kind of an economic puzzle why that is so. So in other words, it's not going to be cheap in the beginning. It'll be expensive. People won't, the, the, they the, won't actually realize those things until we get to scale. Other costs begin to rise. So the thing with the computer, and I was there, now I remember this. People said, oh, these are supposed to make our lives easier. But look, I've got to learn how to use it. And I'm spending all my time banging my head against it. And I have to now not only, you know, spend time with tech support and I have to deal with these things. Plus, I have to buy a printer. Plus, I have to buy paper. Plus, I have to buy toner. Plus, So my costs are all going up. And I have to, oh, next thing they tell me, I have to have a network. Oh, my God, I have to have a Wi-Fi router, blah. And it's all these added, added, added additional costs. And you, you don't seem to get, yeah, you, you're getting the payoff in, in, you know, in typing a little bit faster or maybe payoff in, in, uh, but then you're bogged down with more email that you never ha had to deal with before. So the, the idea of productivity, again, this is measurement of the, the, the return on investment to society ultimately. 
seem not to be happening and you know nobody was getting rid of computers but somehow it was it was it was not yet having the impact economically that people would have expected until you wait by the way 20 years 20 years later 30 years later you're starting to see maybe in fact productivity is 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 is, is going higher and nobody for if everybody forgot that oh yeah we're living in a computerized society and things are a lot easier today than they used to be we didn't have to have a hundred people in the typing pool. This is seriously. This is how it used to yes. be. You have to have a hundred, typically women who were just, you know, essentially typists. Um, and so the, the they were the original computers and, or or or, or operating correctly. adding machines, and each person was essentially a cell in a spreadsheet. One person, one cell. Yes. Right. So that that was the world of of the fifties and sixties. And yes, that's what we are today. But there are hundreds of new jobs that that also need to be measuring in terms of their productivity so there's a lot of tech support there's a lot of it work that that seems to be not very efficient i, I caution against you know assuming that you're going to have an instantaneous uh delta in productivity and and improvement in costs i mean even if you look at solar energy like as there's another example you know decades-long process improved efficiency improved costs per uh per watt generated and and the impact is still very very hard to measure by now if if you would have said to someone in the solar industry 20 years ago that we're going to be getting certain you know pennies per watt production of 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 solar is cheaper than coal cheaper than natural gas people would have said you're absolutely insane and if that were the case right 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 but isn't that isn't that the the point well, yes, but when? Which is when? that, you know, 20 years ago, you would never have been able to say that. And now and now you can say that. But, and it's so cheap that, of course, it's logical that everything else gets, when? Just gets um, you know, we're, of course, we're only going to build that. Yeah, when yeah, I hear you. The, okay, so that, you're saying that it's going to take longer than we think. We're still at less than 1% of the generated energy coming through this very, very efficient and brilliant system. The problem is that it doesn't scale to this to the degree we needed to the scale and yes we've made the technical achievements but we haven't made the the impact of society adopting it on a, on the scale that it needs to be adopted because frankly it just takes time and there's some speed limit to that adoption rate and and, and this is also true for for the internet and some again some things are fast and some things are slow and you have to have an intuition about which is which does a smartphone go faster than a pc yes why you know what or the internet goes at a certain rate versus a telecommunication network based on wires that is voice oriented why and could it have gone faster and they they stopped but i guess my point is right so so like okay so autonomy is going to take a lot longer than we might think right so yes we might get there in 20 years and the same that we might have solar like 20 years ago we'd look at solar and say okay maybe we're going to end up with some sort of crazy low cheap rate um, for this and and then adoption will happen I, I i don't disagree with you i think it'll probably take longer than we think um certainly longer yes, than i would so, like so so, uh, so is that think is that a problem and let me say this because this is what i i'm emphasizing what it impacts us here personally in micro is this when you get to this disillusionment the fact that you didn't hit your targets in time that there's going to be suddenly a a, 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 a contraction in the amount of investment and so you go you go mm-hmm. from a burn rate of like you know 50 billion dollars a year i don't even know what it is but i know we've spent over over 80 so far in various investments in autonomy and suddenly the taps are turned off 
Now, why? Because, okay, the investors are like, hey, we're not getting a return on this. Maybe if you're an automaker, you're going to keep the taps open because you're, you're used to spending that kind of money and you're, waiting, you're used to waiting 20, 30 years for anything to change. So, you know, Toyota has like a 50-year plan for electrifying its cars. Um, and so, fine, for automakers, it may go on. But what about the startups? What about these companies that are essentially having to raise round A, B, C, D, and so on? Why would, they, why would people be putting mm -hmm. money in there? And more importantly than the capital is talent, is meeting the people who, come, who came into this industry, you know, got their PhDs, got their, got their degrees, got their whatever uh, uh, commitment they made to this industry, uh, personal commitment, right, in terms of time and opportunity cost that they could have been somewhere else doing something else. They could have been, you know, making Apple TV or whatnot. Um, so th instead of doing those things, they got into this th business and now there's a disillusionment. The, the taps are turned off. What do you do? You, you have to go and do something else. And that means you have a lot of talent fleeing the industry. And the importance for micro is that we have to, first of all, welcome these people to us and saying, we actually have a need for your talent, even if you are an autonomous engineer, because we, they're, they're low hanging fruit for us in this space which actually is going to make money like tomorrow if you if you solve uh, a, a positioning uh, repositioning scooter problem that actually you know that's that's dollars in the bank right away so so that that, that means mm. that we you know first of all but that's the positive side and we might get an infusion of talent but the negative is that a lot of these people or a lot of investors will actually turn off money to any mobility effort because they've just been so burned by this yes. and say, hey, this is all a waste of money. So so they'll throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's not just autonomy, it's not just sh sharing, but it's micro as well. All of these are not working. So then then we'll, we're going to have sort of a winter for, for all mobility investments. I hope that doesn't happen, but we saw the dot-com situation where a lot of that did happen where you saw the greatest companies who actually made a ton of money later in life, like Amazon, Apple, and Google, who came out as winners, sort of being also thrown out in the sense of having their share prices, uh, uh, you know, uh, drop dramatically during that time period. Um, so that's a proxy for what might happen uh, in that, you know, people will become very cynical about the whole space. And that's a danger. So that's a negative. The positive is we might. Well, it's certainly it's certainly happening. And to reflect uh, on two things there. One, uh, I think we're already seeing it happen. So the head of strategy, Stephen Lambert, who's at um, who's at Skip. Uh, is ex-neuro and I know that there's um, he's not the first person to uh, come across from the autonomy industry into micromobility I certainly know of others as well um, so I think I, I completely agree with you we're going to probably see some talent moving across um, Stephen and M Michael Nucker have written a great article talking about the uh, the supply chains and the hardware strategies for different micro shared micromobility players and who they go to for their uh, micromobility devices and hardware um, which I can link to as well in the show notes. Um, and the second is that, um, yeah, I'm already seeing it because I've been talking to a bunch of uh, venture capitalists and they're, uh, they're very negative on anything in the mobility space at the moment, uh, having had a look at the larger operators and just being, you know, in particular, I think Bird and Lime has freak, freaked them out a little bit because they, I think there was a lot of people who piled in quite early on thinking, yep, yeah, this is the next big thing and um, have been, um, surprised by the amount of push, <laughs> pushback and it's kind of freaked a lot of them out and one I think there are always there's there's each 
So what I'm saying is that, you know, the Gartner hype cycle says like, oh, people get super excited, overexcited. Then there's a, a disillusionment and then there's a collapse in excitement, a collapse in optimism. And then it sort of recovers in a more gradual way to, to reach a point of, of, of benefit uh, or productivity. Uh, that this is the, the Gartner hype cycle. The thing is there's one for micromobility, mm -hmm. which by the way would imply that if we're in the trough now, that, that means it went hype and, and boom and bust in like two years, which would be really extraordinarily fast. But, but what I'm saying is that there's yeah. another separate one for autonomy, which seems to be like, okay, it took five years to go up and maybe it'd take two years to come down and then it'll you know take 30 years to go back up. Uh, but the, the the problem with uh, with with micro is because you know it's like it's like a, a fruit fly um, versus an elephant. It seems to be suffering from from potentially the the trough uh, of autonomy kind of coinciding with this one and, and people people um, uh, conflating them, saying that they are they are related or somehow. If anything, and this is another point that mm. I made, is that if anything, the the antithesis of of of, of of self-driving is uh, micromobility because it is about more engagement with the driver. It's about not isolating you from from your environment, but engaging with it. Whereas the uh, opposite is the case for autonomy, trying to lull you into almost like you know an opiate uh, would do. Well, we talked about it as but before as being the wormhole, right? You don't care about your surroundings anymore because you're literally hopping yeah, in, I mean, going into your capsule like, and then coming out at the other end with nothing. Flying on an airplane nowadays, it's like, oh, get me there as soon as I can. I want to I want to zone out. I want to watch a video, listen to something, anything at all, just to take me out of this out of this misery I'm in. Uh, and in the old days, you know, you would, you would take a trip and it was all absorbing every minute of it it was so exhilarating you wanted to look out the window and stare in awe and wonder there at the clouds and you the fact that you were flying through the sky was just such an amazing idea but now we just we just want to isolate ourselves understandably so but i'm pointing out that that what micro does is sort of forces you to go the other way it's as if you were a bird again or you you're in a hang glider as opposed to in a metal tube with the blinds pulled down mm -hmm. you know, that that's what we want we want from transportation now is more isolation get me there without uh, any other stimulus that, except what is in the screen in front of me so th th that's why i'm saying is that part of that isolation part of that uh, uh cocooning that happens is is uh, okay let's even take away the fact that you have to look out the window uh let's take uh, you know take away the fact that you have to pay attention to the to the traffic in front of you um um and 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 make it make it uh, an, an entirely uh um uh, you, you know insular experience so I just say not only on that basis, okay, that's kind of a meta level, but more on the on the business mm -hmm. models, the the uh, the speed and the cycle times and the, dy dy the dynamic nature of micro, the fact that it's so fast uh, uh, to evolve, and that it's there are so many form factors, that there are so many ideas about how to do it. The dynamism of micro is like okay, people are debating fundamentals, like oh, should we sit? We should we stand? Should we pedal? Should we push a button? Should we have a roof? Should we not? What is it? You know, uh, should we have our own dedicated lanes or should we share lanes with others? Should we? What do we do about uh, the law and what do we do about parking? Should we? Should, you know what I mean? I just like I think there's so much going yep. on 
with the fundamental questions, right? That we're, we're questioning everything in micro. Uh, uh, we're questioning whether there should be roads, whether there should be parking. Uh, and we should, we're questioning the mm-hmm. law. You, you started talking about the SAE classification, the taxonomy. And it's like, that's a matter of great debate. Does it make sense to have this classification? Whereas in autonomy, we have these levels, right? Level one through five. That too, by the way, is an SAE document. Um, and, and, and sort of like, that's it. Okay, fine, we're done. You know, that was it. That's the four levels, five levels, actually. And and, um, and there's no more debate. Uh, and and, and th- that's what I love about micro is, is like it really, I think the, the fact that most of it is unknown yet. Most of it, we don't know what we mm. need to do, what we don't know, what the outcome will be. As exact opposite, as I said, of the utopia that uh, autonomy promises, that somehow we build, we build castles in the sky, dreaming of all these things because... And I've seen it so many times in my life because a magical thing happens and thus we can redesign the world. The opposite is reality. Reality is messy. There's no magic. It, it's all mundane. It's all dirty. It's all boring. It's idiotic. It's a thousand times repetitive. And yet the result is absolutely brilliant. That's the world we live in. That's how the world is shaped, not through eureka moments, but through... Uh, a lot of cursing all right well (laughs) that's probably a good place for us to end this episode (laughs) but uh just want to say thank you Yoris. it's uh it's always fun to listen to your rant uh and uh i think yeah look the 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 conversation around autonomy i think is incredibly relevant and and i'm really curious about what the the debate that this episode will generate um cool all right thanks bye-bye